Welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. Peace. What's going on, family? Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. Uh, we are so excited um, because we are welcoming to the show a dear, dear friend. He is an artist. He is an author. He is an empowerment coach. He's a designer, illustrator. Please welcome our very dear friend, Micah Blacklight. Micah! <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so excited to have you. <laughs> welcome to the show. Welcome to the yeah, show, man. How are you? How am I? I'm a little crazy right now, you. Yeah. I'm a little crazy. Um, my uh, I forgot to give uh, uh, requisite sacrifice to the gods of technical technical difficulties, but um, <laughs> I think we're gonna be all right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying I think we just go. Right, right. honey. <laughs> just gonna have to just gonna have to work it out. You know what I'm saying so. Um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm feeling good. Show, Happy man. to see you, bro. You're so good to see you. Thank you so um, much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, we, Stan and I both had the pleasure of meeting you initially. Um, we all are Pratt alums. Prattheads. Uh, Prattheads. And, you know, Stan and I, we, to this day, we talk about it that, you know, from the onset of meeting you is that you are, in fact, the most freest person we have ever met yeah, in our entire life. There's no, there's, no there's nobody wow. else. Really? You know, when, we, when you hear the word free, there's a picture of you. Okay. Right. Wow. Yeah. Like from the day, from the day I met you, um, you know, you you've always seemed far more comfortable in your skin than like anyone that I've known. You know what I mean? And wow. like whenever I meet someone who seems extremely free in their skin, the mm -hmm. first thing I think I was like, man, I would like to get you and Micah in the same room. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Like, um, and, it, and there's so many of our friends who we 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 definitely uh, care about and feel similarly about them. And like whenever y'all can't coexist in the space, we're like, ah, if we could take all of these people. That's mm -hmm. like, I don't know if the world could handle that, actually. But, uh, <laughs> um, but, but your energy, man, forever yeah. has been a blessing to our lives. So, you know, we're happy to have you on the show. Yeah. You know I mean? Thank you so much. I also want to. Uh, I also want to preface that by saying that you know, with freedom comes some sacrifice. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and so um, we're gonna go right, get it right into it. We're gonna talk about you know, how did how did the mica of today come to be? And so mm -hmm. I know you are from the DMV area, and so talk to us about that. Like, what was life growing up? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's oh my god, like it's me in streets. Yeah, okay, so I was an army brat, right? Um, so I started out all over the states. We were in Germany one time, it doesn't count because I was a little baby, so like I, you know, I can't claim like I've been to Germany. I mean, I have, but who knows? Anyway, um, yeah. I was born in North Carolina and I was born in New Bern, North Carolina, and I know that is literally all I know about where I was born. Like, I ain't never been back ever, period. Um, I don't even know if we were there for like six months, feel me? So um, we were moving all over the place and cause pops was in the army, but then my mom, hmm, how much of this we gonna tell? Suffice it to say my fam got into a cult, mm. a real cult, like an actual cult. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was me uh, and I'm, I'm one of three. I'm second of, I mean, I'm one of four. I'm the second of four. Um, older sister, younger brother, younger sister, right? And so they got into a cult. And then my mom's bounced. She she left the cult, left my pops, left us in the cult. Oop. And pops was like, what the fuck? So then, oops, sorry. So then pops, <laughs> so then pops left the cult. Whoop. So it's just us, the kids, in the fucking cult, like minus the parents. Yeah, that happened. And so, um, and then shortly after they uh, bounced, my sister and I got kicked out the cult because they said we were being too bad. I don't even know what, I don't know what the fuck that means. Maybe it was, maybe it's like, uh, we wasn't looking religious enough. I don't know. The point is they mm -hmm. sent us away. 
So they sent us to live with our moms again, right? But at this point, we didn't even recognize her. I don't even know how long had gone. It hadn't been a super, super long time. But we, I remember me and my sister was in the, my older sister was in the airport because we flew alone. And this woman comes running at us. Oh, my God. And we looked at each other like, is that, is that her? I think, I guess, I guess that's her. Like, we ain't even, like, it was like that, you know what I mean? So, so then she kept moving after we was out the coast. She wasn't in the military. It was him. He was in the military. She kept moving. So we was just bouncing around every, it was like every half a year. It wasn't even a full school year. Every boom, boom, we in the new school, new school, new school. And almost every time it was a white school, we was some of the only black kids. And and we the new kids, so we gotta stand up in front of class. Hi, welcome. You know, there's a new kids, Mike and hi, you know. So that was trippy. And then we landed in DC. I landed in DC because moms went back to the cult and was like, "Look, I know y'all ain't trying to be in the cult. Da da da. I'm gonna give you a choice as to where you can be. Da da da." By the way, this is some exclusive stuff. Like I ain't told nobody this story on camera. Um. So then, I mean, first time hearing him. We've yeah. known you what twenty plus years. Yeah. yeah, long time, V. So. Um, and I'm still giving like a fast version, but either way, she was going back to the cult. She was like, I know y'all don't want to be in a cult. I'm going to give you a choice. You can either go with your grandparents in Indianapolis or your grandparents in DC. My sister chose Indianapolis. I chose DC. That's how I landed in the DMV. So I was in DC, in Northeast, 16th and F, like in DC proper, boom, you know, while it was Chocolate City. Culture shock, culture shock, okay? Landed there and that was where I got two things, which was real interesting. No, no, no. Initially, I was I was uh, apprised of two things. I was informed by my my ghetto compatriots of two things. Number one, you black. I didn't know that up till then. Like there was no. I knew I was black, but I didn't know what black was. I ain't had no. I was just like I'm brown, and the other people are white, and that's just how that works. And okay, whatever. But in this one, it was like, nah, you you black. Okay, that's one. And number two, you po. So you black and po. Ha ha. And you talk funny. Because funny means, you know, you got proper education. I speak proper, which proper English in the middle of the ghetto is not a good thing. Right. So that was not OK. Um, you talk funny and you, 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 you know, you ain't you ain't like whatever, whatever. So I got picked on. It was that was the bottom of the totem pole for most of the time I was there. So I don't have fond recollections of D.C. <laughs> How old were you? How old were you when you I was realized? 11. I was 11 when I landed. So 11 to 17 is when is when I was in there. So it's like the years, like it was the, the real and several things happened that, that came that brought me to me. One is the fact that like I used to play with girls when in elementary school because I was good with them. Like there was for some reason I had the mm, whatever. And the dudes was like, why are you always playing with the girls? And, <laughs> and when, but it was trippy because I didn't. Right. Like I did and I didn't. And at the elementary school, I had it. And the dudes was like, why are you always playing with the girls? And in my head, I was like, if you got to ask that question, you you know, whatever. So I wouldn't even. <laughs> it was later on. I couldn't really express it. But I was just like, y'all silly. What are you, why would you not play with the girls? Are you serious? So they was like, we need you to play football. We need an extra, you know, football. Da, da, da. And I look at football, them playing football, our version of football, right? So it's ghetto football, throwback. You know what I mean? You remember that game? You played throwback? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! For the viewers who don't know nothing about throwback, it's real simple. It's suicide, basically. You, you know, <laughs> everybody stands on one end of the field, and one person goes to the other, and they they have the ball. They turn around, they so they back facing you, and they just throw the ball back. Whoo! And whoever catches it, everybody just hits them hard. Whoever catches <laughs> it, right? <laughs> so it's like a bouquet. Only, only whoever gets the bouquet gets the just gets towed down, you know what I mean? And if you happen to make it out of that scrum, you know what I mean, then you got to do it again. Because you, know, so you run over and you make a touchdown, then you got to run through everybody again until you get down, and then you be the one to throw the ball, right? So I was looking at that going, hell no. You see how small I am? Because I was also the smallest kid in class for years. Till 10th wow. grade, I was the smallest kid in class. Always, always, always. So I saw all that. I'm playing with the girls. I'm like, and the girls look a whole lot more fun than getting my, my ass beat. Like, this look like this that's not my idea of fun um, right. but, I fi- <laughs> but i finally fun to somebody just not you, know you. Saying? i finally chose to play one day just out the thing and i realized a couple things one is that i was really good at it why was i really good at it because i was so small and i was terrified of getting hit so i wouldn't let you hit me right <laughs> so i was just like ah! i was stupid fast and i was willing to do stuff like you know if you push them into the fence they're out 
And everybody else was like, that's a bitch move, son. You know what I mean? You don't push nobody. And I was just like, you out. Ah, ha, ha. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, football changed things. And then moving forward, you know, high, uh, junior high school was terrible for me. Like, just straight up and out terrible. Um, mm-hmm. Because the bullying was just real. Like, I went to Elliott Junior High, and Elliott was no joke. It was so no joke. I used to, my, and my grandparents would compound the horror because they dressed me, right? And you, my grandparents had zero, you know, I see Stan's face right now, feel me? Like, my grandparents dressed me like you would expect grandparents to dress a child, meaning they got no fashion sense. Talking about, right. talking yeah. about the alligator on the side of the, the turtleneck. Turtleneck, me, high waters and turtleneck. Like, they used to mess my life up. I was like, you understand you're killing me? Like, you have no idea. You, you don't, I'm getting my... You are whooping my ass. <laughs> so I would I would bring some days I'd bring a change of clothes in my bag and I'd change in the alley before I got to school into something a little tiny bit less geeky. I didn't have a whole bunch of stuff, right? But I'd do that sometimes just to just to just to cut off the amount of triflingness I was gonna have to experience in this already trifling school where it didn't matter. Already it didn't matter what you was wearing. Like if you was wearing all the cool stuff. Unless you're part of a certain clique, you're still going to get picked on. That's just how it works. But right. the, the cool kids had all the cool clothes, so they got picked on a whole lot less. But then you had to fight. And I didn't know how to fight. Neither, so it was just a whole bunch of not goodness. And um, so that was that school. and I was, But I learned some real key stuff, right? I learned some real key stuff. One of the key things I learned was, um, and this hit harder when I went to high school, when I went to Spingarn, and that was where everything changed, because I went to Spingarn one year, um, and uh, Spin- shout out to Spingarn, even though, whatever. Um, so they're, they were in the midst of ghetto, too. We were all ghettoed out, but then one of my boys went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts, and he was like, I used to draw all the time. Everybody in the neighborhood knew I could draw, da 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 And so he, you know, it's the classic geek stuff. It's crazy. Anyway, but um, he was like, you should audition. And I was like, so, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? And so I auditioned. Mind you, this dude was from Southeast. Um, his right. name is Randy. I never forget him. Randy Morphine, like those are my, my people. But Randy was like, he changed my life in a in a very interesting way because he was from Southeast and he, he lived on a block too. But Southeast, for for viewers who don't know, is like it was it was like hell. Like one of his trips from home, he used to tell me there was a certain part of Southeast he'd go through, he's on the bus. And one of the one of the tri- every morning, one of the trips was before he moved to my block, he'd have to once he got to that part of the block, you just hustle, huggle down like uh, in your seat. You just like punch down foo, 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 and you just wait and rocks are just start hitting the windows as he drove through that part of the neighborhood. That was where he came from every morning. That's the bus. That's just the bus. Feel me? Anyway, so he could fight. <laughs> he was mad small. He was dark, like really, really, really black. Um, so he used to catch all the time and he could just back it up. He'd be like, where, but you can't want me though. Like that was the thing. That's, that's that old school. You can't yeah. want me though. Yeah. You know I'm saying, can you, but can you whoop my, mm. so, so he, <laughs> <laughs> so he and I, he was hella fast. You gotta be funny if you can fight. Yeah. You know I'm saying you ain't gotta be none of that. You just be like, yo, but for real, I just put my fist all up in your everything and you're done. You know what I mean? So right. that, that he was that right. So when he moved to the block, he bought he, he he took a shine to me because I was he was used to being the fastest. I was used to being the fastest. Both of us were really, really fast. And we were just like, oh, you could oh, yeah, okay, cool. You know what I mean? So we became like real, real good friends. And as a result, I had a good, 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 good friend who could fight. Yeah, it changes things a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? You don't want you don't want to do the same thing. So 10th grade happened and I had a point where I realized I was being what I thought was crazy, right? Because in high school, in junior high school, I was like, I can't be cool. I want to be cool. These people don't think I'm cool. I know there's a cool person in here. I know there's a dancer in here. They don't believe any of that. So I'm going to play the crazy card because I saw people that were crazy and they got like passes. They, they, weren't, they weren't quite on the super bottom of the geek totem pole anymore because they were crazy. So I was like, I'm going to play the crazy card. And so I thought I was doing the crazy card. And then one of my teachers, the one of the two teachers who I really respected was like, uh, you run around like a chicken with his head cut off. Like, she just shocked me into the recognition that what I thought was crazy was just super fucking annoying. You know what I mean? Like, I was just being a dick, and I didn't realize that's what was happening. So 10th grade, I, I looked around, and I was like, yo, I don't like who I'm being. I'm going to change it. So I consciously looked at all the things I wanted. Like, so there was the dude who was really good with girls. I wanted that. 
Uh, that was the dude who who knew everybody in the hallway. Like they could roll down the hall and they could give that to everybody. I was like, I want that. You know, they knew everybody. I want that. Uh, there's the people who people laughed at their jokes. I wanted that because I had been told straight up and down, you ain't funny. Yeah. I was like, they were like, this a girl told me that shit. Oh, it was painful. Uh, she's Scott was probably. Um, she was like, Michael, you know what? I could tell a joke. People laugh. Adia could tell a joke. It was um, there was a girl named Dia. Adia could tell a joke. She people laugh. You tell a joke, ain't nobody gonna laugh. Cause you ain't funny. Like it was that. Like cats was just stabbing me in my. Like it was gnarly, man. Like it was just like I'm catching it from the girls. I'm catching it from the dudes. Like it's just, I got cold cocked in the hallway. It was bad, baby. It was it was rough. But, um. So I looked at. I was like, I want to be funny. You know, I looked at all these things, and and I was like, I'm gonna look up, look inside and see how much of this I already have. And anything I don't have, I'm gonna fake it till I make it. I don't care. And I looked inside. And was like, oh, I got all this. It's just, it's like a desert. I hadn't watered that part. I was watering everything else. I don't know what I was doing. So I was like, I'm gonna do this. So I consciously carved me. I consciously became this dude. And it started um, in 11th grade because that was when I went to Duke Ellington for the first time. And right. it went from like overnight, like first off, my height hit, you know what I mean? Like right between 10th, between 9th and 10th, my height was all of a sudden doing the thing. And I was like, what is this? And Coach Taylor, was the coach at Spingarn, and he had a person on the football team named Smurf. And they was, he was like the smallest dude on the football team. He was bigger than me, but still smaller. So he had me in the weight room, coach, because coach was also the chemistry teacher. He was this big black dude, bald glasses, goatee, and you did not cross coach. You just didn't want to do that. So nice. <laughs> um, he put me in the in the weight room and gave me supplements, like like basically legal steroids. And so I put on like yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <I put on. laughs> <laughs> and he was just like yo i want you to you know and so he taught me proper technique in terms of weightlifting and like my my, my muscles was doing the thing because i was coming into my own and it wasn't like i was some ripped anything like that but it was the perfect time in my development so my height shot up and my, my shoulders filled out whatever whatever um and i got to and then i left i got to do gellington because i got in i didn't realize i get in but i got in da, da, da. and so that was the first year that I dictated my social everything's. It was, it was, it was, I'm not going front, yo. It was, it was tied in with two things. One was me choosing to be me, like, and being this whole person. And, and two was losing my virginity. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <That'll be> like... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. People may not understand this. I still don't understand this to this day. I don't get it, but I will speak to this a little bit. In the social hierarchy, it's always been about women, always. Mm-hmm. No matter how, um, they, you know, in the, in the U.S., because I know in some cultures it's just not, like, forget about it. But in the U.S., the, the cultures that I've been exposed to in the U.S., um, it's always about women. It's always about girls. It's about them liking you. It's about them wanting you. It's about them. And if they don't like or want you, then you want them to, to fear you or respect you or both, right? And so the dudes you want to respect, da, 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 da. but if you're at the bottom of the totem pole, like I was, right? And girls like you, you automatically elevated just a little bit. Like you can't be at the bottom because it's some super tough dudes the girls just don't freaking like. They just ain't got the thing, you know what I mean? And so if girls like you, then it's automatic, like, yeah, but you know what I'm saying though. You know what I mean? Like, so you you have that calling card, you have that that card. And even when we're doing stuff to impress dudes, a lot of times we're still doing it, at least indirectly, to impress the girls. Like that's just how you know, you get the cars and stuff. Why? So the girls are like you, you get the gear and stuff. We don't care if the dudes is gonna be like, Oh, your gear is tight. I mean, we do, but we want what we want more is for the girls to be like, Oh, he cute. Oh, he, you know what I mean? And the best compliment back then was he's sexy. Cute was better than sexy. I mean, uh, sexy was better than cute. Sexy was better than everything. Sexy was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean? So, so sex was a huge deal, you know. And people's lying about losing their virginity, and I lied for years, you know. But then I did, and it transformed everything. And I'm not sure why to this day, but it did because I went from girls playing me, you know, being stringing me along. Um, such and such said vir- virginity was a thing they could throw in your face. Oh, you're still a virgin, right? And mm-hmm. it went from, you a virgin. I was like, no, I'm not. It went from that to, you a virgin. I was like, I got your virgin right here. Mm-hmm. Everything changed. <laughs> Everything changed. <laughs> it was like, I got your virgin right here. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a sea change. And I don't, to this day, I don't know 
what mm-hmm. that did. I don't know why that was such a big deal, but it was because my whole energy was just, I went from, you know, geek, 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 geek to like phone numbers on my hands coming home from school, like mm-hmm. phone numbers, notes. We, we had a pastime, me and my boy, Randy, would go down to my locker. It was me, Randy, and a dude named Marvin, who uh, I changed his name to Morphine. And Randy was Spookums. We all had, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so like, those are my peoples, you know what I mean? There was two girls as part of our clique, too. Shout out to Trey, Shamise. So we we would go to my locker at, in the middle of the, the day, and we just open it and see how many notes would fall out. Because girls were just leaving notes in my locker, and they slide it into my locker. Like, it, I went from the bottom to, like, I don't know where I was. I wasn't at the top because I still didn't have, the you know, everything. But mm-hmm. I was close. You know what I'm saying? I was real close. And this was uh, Duke? Yes, it was Duke. So was Duke. you had the combination of, like, your, your um, like, you were kind of climbing the social ladder, right? Yeah. But simultaneously, um, so you got into Duke for the arts, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Lots. Yeah, so, like, the combination of applying to a school that basically allowed you to do visual art like on top of like you climbing the social ladder, it's like all of these things are kind of popping off at mm-hmm. the same time and stuff. So I, and so what was like, I mean, when did you really start thinking about um, like leaving uh, DC? I mean, because you were having a rough experience, but now it's starting to improve, you know what I mean? So what made you decide like when you were looking at colleges that it was time to maybe try your, you know, try your hand at being somewhere else completely different. So let's let's break this down for a second. Because <laughs> it didn't happen like that. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so here we go. One piece I forgot to mention was when I went to Spingarn, it was my first experience of having what we call back. In the, in the ghetto, we call it having back. Um, having back just meant you had folk who, if you were in trouble and or danger, you could call yeah. or, or, or call on. And they come to you and they, and they and they meant something. It wasn't just like, could you call on some little person who can't fight, but y'all stick together and y'all just get your asses beat together. It was like, can you call on somebody who's like like a handleist, right? So I went to I went to um Spingarn and there was I had a cousin who was like, yo, let let if anybody like let them know that you're my cousin. And if anybody mess with you, you you let me know. That was the first piece. So people knew I right, don't fuck with him in a new school. The second thing was Coach Taylor put me in the football. Um, I mean, in the, in the uh, weight room. What that meant was I was in the weight room with all the football team. The football team were obviously the biggest dudes in the school because Coach had taken me under his wing. They took me under their wing. So all of a sudden, I, for the first time, I was in a school where Cats was like, do not with Micah, period. Don't fuck with him because you're going to piss off the entire team and we will be on your back. You know what I mean? So it was the first time that even though the school was not it was still ghettoed out, but I was like mostly immune for the first time. First time. And it felt so good. It felt so good. Um, so that was a piece. The second piece is stage. Um, I found a key. Bullies can't get on stage. Most of them. They can't do it. Right. Because it terrifies them. So there were moments when they needed people to present. This happened to Elliot. And then it, it translated into Spingarn. There were moments when they needed somebody to present a prize to, you know, some guest speaker or whatever. And mad kids, you know, they were like, who's willing to do this? Just present them, you know, on behalf of the school. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I, I'll do it. I'll, you know, whatever. And I realized I'd be in the hallways later. And mind you, I hadn't even done anything. I just presented. I was up on stage. I presented. Blah, blah, blah. And, but I became that kid who would do that. And I realized on, in the hallway, bullies who would normally, I'm prey, like I'm full on prey. They, they, they give me a, a, a begrudging pass for like two, three days after I've been on stage. They look at me like, yo, you, you did that thing, right? And in that moment, my intuition has always been tight. And so what I realized for them was they can't do that mm-hmm. because for them, being on stage is being naked. So mm-hmm. all your bully, all your nothing, you just the, you just the person. You know what I mean? And the crowd, you can't pick out who in the crowd is, is booing you, who is looking at you like you're crazy, who laughing at you. You ain't got nothing. You got nothing. You're naked. So they terrified, right? So they respected to some degree anybody who was willing to do that. So that I just filed that away for future use. Second, in Spingarn, there was a specific group of cats that always did all the plays and everything. Um, and and there was this one play that they did that I was like, yo, I'm, you know, they did their version of... Um, the, the the Oz, but they called it uh, the Wizard of Oz, then the Wiz, but they called it the answer. And I was going to be the answer. And um, and there was this one kid who used to always get his name was Julian. 
he'd always get the 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 part whatever the big part was he'd get it and he was like a larger cat i'm pretty sure he was gay it's stereotypical just working all over the place you know what i mean um the theater kids and whatnot but they always got him and i was like i'm gonna get this part and i remember rolling in and he was there and everybody was shocked to see me because it's like michael what are you you know and I, I was like, I took a deep breath. They were like, all right, say the lines or whatever. And I was like, and just blew them away. Like their, their eyes, <laughs> they, they faces was like, what just happened? And I got that role. You know what I mean? And I remember after that was when I got like a week's worth of, of non-bullying in the hall. You know what I mean? Because I did the whole thing. You know what I mean? And so I just got to see that. That piece I took with me, I just felt like that was important. Moved to um, Duke. I done changed my stuff. I done shifted. Da, 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 da. But. I'm still, in my mind, I'm still poor. I'm still broke. I have no hope of college. None. I got none, right? So Spingarn had a ROTC program. I was going to end up in the military, but then we moved to Duke. I mean, I moved to Duke. So the Duke, keep in mind, Spingarn was in the ghetto. Elliot in the ghetto. Um, Duke Ellington was in the white people neighborhood. It was in Northwest. So we took buses to our school, right? So I got to leave the ghetto every day. That helped a lot. A lot because I didn't have to worry. There were not. It wasn't the same predators I had to deal with. You know what I mean, and every day I come home, and I'm coming home to if if the bus is about to pull up, and I see a certain group of people on the corner, I'm not even getting off the bus. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna go further than my stop to get off, and then walk back around because I don't want to have to run from these cats that's on the corner. That was still my reality. Feel me? So it was intense. It was like really, really intense. Um, but I was also starting to pick up, I had started to pick up slang. I picked up body language so I could fake certain things. So I remember this one time I was on my way to school, but I was purposely dressed like the cats that I wanted to be dressed like. I wanted to dress like the hustlers, you know what I mean? Because they were the top of the food chain in the social pecking order. But intelligence was not a part of that. Like you weren't supposed to be smart. Smart was looked down on. So I was smart, but I also wanted to be cool. So, you know, it was a little mix. So I was dressing like whenever I could, I was dressing like, like one of them. And I remember I felt hella good and weird at the same time. We were on our way to school one time, and uh, the bus driver was like, where y'all going? And we were like, we on our way to school. She's like, she looked this up and down, I was like, y'all ain't going to school. So she thought we were what I wanted her to think we were, right? <laughs> so I got kind of proud, like, oh, you think I'm a delinquent. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to be thought of as a delinquent. Anyway, so moving forward, you know what I mean? So it came, me going to college came down to, um, my grandparents, they had no money. Nobody had no money. I was going to go to the military. And me going to college came down to a single day, a single day where I was listening to our, our high school had this program called the shepherding program. And the only reason I knew about it, literally the only reason, because the universe be working like that. Right. So when I say universe, you know, real quick for the viewers or whatever, um, it stands for uh, forces, fates, entities, ancestors, gods, goddesses, deities, uh, energies that roll within for me. So I just figure I wrap them all up because just think I ain't trying to piss none of them off anyway. So, um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let's be all encompassing, shall we? Um, so uni lined it up. So I, I was listening. I was in a hallway or something. I just overheard teachers talking about the shepherding program. And I was like, what are you? What, okay, whatever. But I was, it's almost like I wasn't eavesdropping per se because I just happened to be there and they were talking and I just heard them talk. So they described the shepherding program, whatever. So I'm in school. I mean, I'm in class the next day. And a teacher comes in. She's like, who here knows what the shepherding program is? And nobody raised their hand. And I was like, okay, you know. I raised my hand all slow. And she's like, what's the shepherding program? And I just repeated verbatim what I had heard them say in the hallway. And she's like, okay, you're going to this, uh, you're going to this seminar to talk about it. I was like, wait, what? She's like, you're going to this. I was like, I don't want to go to the seminar. What do you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> she's like, you're going to the seminar. You're going to the seminar. You're going to represent our school, talk about the shepherding program. I was like, oh, man. And so... It, I mean, so, so they, were like, they were like, you're going to see this woman. Her name is Peggy uh, Cooper K. Fritz. Okay. So it came down to, I was going to meet this girl and she may or may not, mm, uh, how can I put this? She may or may not, we may or may not get real close. Okay. So it was, it was like, I'm going to meet this girl or I'm going to go to this seminar. And I had had another moment where me and this girl were supposed to meet and she hadn't shown up. And I was like, if I skip this seminar and get in trouble, it need to be 100% worth it. I can't just skip it and then she don't right. even show up or whatever. So I was like, fine, all right, I'm going to go to this thing. That one day, that decision transformed my life because it turns out that, A, I went to you know Peggy's uh, house. They sent me to her house in a cab. First off, I have, you know, so they were giving me cab money, which for me was like, oh, cab money, you know. So I went to her house 
and it's like a mini mansion. It's the biggest house I've ever been in, in my life. And I was like, who is this woman? What is, you know, and I walk, you know, they were like, she's in there, you know. So I walked through these rooms. I walked through a kitchen that was like the size of my flipping house. Like it was insane, right? And so I, I, I went to see her and she's a black lady, um, was. Um, and it turns out that she is one of the founders of Duke Ellington. I had no clue. Like this woman was, she she helped so many kids. Like shout out to her, right? You know, may she rest and or not rest in whatever power she won rest in. You know what I'm saying, because um, she was just a, mm, she was about it. So uh, we went to this, um, and I was I was scared. So and I was insecure. So I was being extra because that's what we do when we scared and insecure. A lot of us we just fucking, I'm a, hey, 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 you know. And she was like, I like that. Be that. Keep doing that when we go to the seminar. I was like, bet. All right, that's easy. <laughs> so we went to the seminar. Yeah, you know I mean, and, and I'm articulate, right? Because like they said, you got you sound proper. So I kept that. I made it so I could switch. That was another thing. Like, you know, in order to 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 have the friends that I had and the, and the, to not be picked on even the little bit that I wasn't picked on and during my years in DC, I learned to pick up accents real quick. I can pick up, you know, slang real quick, real quick, you know, because otherwise, you know, you stand out. So I was like, I don't want to stand out no more. So um, but I'm also articulate, so I can switch, right? So we go to the seminar, and it's talking about uh, a, it was a dialogue, a dialogue on race with African American community members, and something, something, something. It was like that. Um, and I, I speak, you know, on the panel. I'm on the panel with Peggy and several other people, and you know, somebody says something about, you know, man, it's keeping us down. I was like, can I take this? And I just ripped into that person, and Peggy looked at me like, all right, bet, I like that. And then. Uh, somebody else said something about racism and I ripped into them and then somebody else ripped into me and then Peggy ripped into them and I was like, oh, this is awesome. So we were like a tag team. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> so we got to the to lunch section or whatever and, you know, and they gave us, there was this she-she spot. So they gave us these little teensy stereotypical pieces of food on the plate and me being stereotypically me and being extra because I am insecure and I'm surrounded by white and black people. I was just like, where's the food? Right. And so they laughing. You know what I mean? I was like, can I have some more of y'all? It's like, what are you doing? Anyway, so I'm busy shoving my face with, <laughs> you know I mean? just looking crazy. And I realized, they, you know, so they start talking. They were like, um, have you thought about colleges? And I had looked at a handful just on some old, if I could, where would I go? All of them were in New York, right? Um, but I didn't have, I wasn't looking at them with any real hope. I was just looking, you know, because um, I was supposed to or whatever. And they were like, have you looked at any colleges? And I was like, well, I looked at da 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 And they were like, have you visited? I was like, visited? What are you talking about? How am I, no, I, no, I ain't visited no college. What are you even talking, no, I haven't. I'm, you know. And so they're talking and then they go, um, so you're going, now we just have to figure out who you're gonna stay with. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? And they were what? like, <laughs> they were like, you're going. We just have to figure out who you're gonna stay with. And it was at that moment that it sunk in. I'm in a room full of white and black people who all have money and they're trying to help folk like me, disenfranchised fringe cats who mm -hmm. they see potential in and they wanna, they wanna elevate. I didn't notice. I thought I was here to talk, you know what I mean? But this wow. is like a full on philanthropic like thing so i'm sitting at a table with some powerhouses who have more money than i whatever and they talking about sending me to new york. so they did they sent me to new york and i got to visit the colleges and i stayed at one of their friends houses and and you know i had to wear a suit and i only own like one whatever and like right did a thing all these things so that trip changed my life and you know and then one of the people who was sitting at the table had connects to the jackie robinson joint and he was like you should apply he was like i can't get you in that's not you know but my recommendation actually means something you should apply and i was like what the fuck? where am i where what is happening so i applied and i ended up getting mad scholarships they were all small right but one of the people who i was chilling with he him and his wife gave, made a scholarship they just made one up to give to me just did it right there. So my name just kept being called when I graduated. Peggy created one to give to me. I was like, what is happening? And I went to college. Da -da -da. That's what did it. So let's, that's amazing. That's mm -hmm. amazing. And it, it, you know, I'm happy that, you know, you went to the <laughs> conference. Right. And not, <laughs> and and not, not linked up with old girl. <laughs> yeah, whole life could have been different, fam. Whole life, yo. Whole like, life. Whole yeah. life. But I want I did want to transition because you have a very distinctive style um, as far as your visual arts is concerned. I mean, you have done um, a lot of pen and ink. Mm. You do. Um, I've seen. I remember fondly of. Um, we have examples here. You have um, 
where you do pixelated style. I mean, talk to us about that, about developing that. Was that during done, was that done during Pratt or was that something that just developed as time went on? Mm. Pratt, shout out to my man, Julian, not Julian from Spingon, but uh, Julian Lytle from mm -hmm. Pratt. Cause he's the one who put me on to, um, what was the name of the pins? Uh, da, 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 da. So I was, I started using ballpoint pins. Look, yeah. and that, that, that image you see in this ballpoint pen. I started using ballpoint pens because I was erasing too much. And I was I was throwing drawings away if I didn't like them. And I was like, you need to not do that. You need to work with these longer. So I'm a I'ma mess around with pen and make it so I, I'm forcing myself to work with my mistakes. Um and Julian put me on the RSVPs. Uh, it's just a it's just a brand of pen, but they had a bunch of colors. Um and I was like, ooh, colors. Oh, this is awesome. So I started messing around with, with colored pens and that became my go-to, yo. I, I paint, I call it painting with my pens, feel me? So over the years, I just got better and better. Colored pencils were a really, really big one when I first started, um, and, and but pens didn't come till college. And once I got into pens, I, like, I just, I love them to this day. So that was one piece. Fantasy has always played a huge role, primarily because I used to love muscles, um, and but I didn't know how to do them. And so, I do like multiple lumps in a dude's arm. I mean, you get, you know, three. It's like the shoulder, the bicep, and yep. the forearm, right? But I do boop, 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 because I didn't know, you know what I mean? So it's like, rah. and then people would be like, oh, he got too many lumps, whatever. And so I started drawing monsters. And they were like, why are you drawing monsters? And I was like, because you can't tell me what the anatomy is like. <laughs> it's a monster. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't tell me this is wrong, because it's a monster. So screw you. You can have as many lumps as I wanted that. So... And then I got um, this magazine, it used to be a magazine called Flex. I think now it's changed into something else. But, you know, it was these monster dudes and women, just huge bodies. And they were like walking anatomy displays. So mm -hmm. I learned a bunch of my anatomy from them, whatever, whatever. So the combination of muscles and the pins and the fantasy, it just changed things. Um, heavy Metal was a huge influence, Heavy Metal magazine, because um, mm -hmm. they, they mixed three of my favorite things. It was like sex, mm -hmm. magic, and 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 art like there was sword and sorcery there was technology technology they you know they actually had black folk sometimes on their covers and stuff so like there was all these things but sexy was in it and for me the sexy piece is a big 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 piece because it's always missing it's like it, we we make it so it disappears anyway you have another question because <laughs> i could go on for years you know what I'm Perfect segue, because my next question was, a lot of your work does deal with Afrofuturism, post-apocalypse, fantasy, erotica. And I was going to ask, like, what inspired that? Was that something that you started doing in high school? Was that something that you, because through heavy metal you said you had mentioned, or was it something that came later on? I remember, <laughs> uh, we're going to tell this story. We're going to tell this story. I remember, <laughs> so back when I was in D.C., we had a next-door neighbor. And where I was in D.C., we had alleys in the back, um, a big alley. Only our alley was like, you could see the other side of the alleys on the other block, whatever. So it was just a big old alley spot. And in the middle was like a patch of weeds or whatever. Uh, our next-door neighbor had a dump truck. And he would park his dump truck in the middle of that alley thing. And then he also had a whole bunch of junk. But he also had a collection of porno magazines. Hmm. And he had him in a crate and we knew, and I don't know how we knew, but we knew. And he knew that we knew. And he was like, he let it be known one day. And I'm not even sure how he did this. I don't, to this day, I'm not sure. But he let it be known that he was going to get rid of his porno collection. And me and my boy was listening like, oh, shit. Okay. So we, so we was waiting. <laughs> so we was waiting. I remember us waiting. We had duffel bags. Feel me? Like we had little, little, not duffel bags, but like little bag. We was about it. So we was at the top window, like, yo, you see him? You see him? And he rolled out to the to the uh, alley and he put the crate down. I'll never forget this. I'm looking at him. And he just looked around and he cackled. It was hilarious. He was by himself, but he knew. He knew. So he's cackling. And he just turns around and just walks back in his house. And we were like, four, three, two. <laughs> One, go, 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 go. And we just ran out of stairs. We shot out the back door and we just dipped him up. We shoved him into the bag, you know what I'm saying? And he shoved him into his bag and we just feeling like the just the most taboo ever. Like, what are you even doing? And then he was like, I go you. And so he ran to his joint and I ran back up to my house and I was just like in my room, scared. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So anyway, I had a collection of porno magazines um, and I had a book in there, whatever. Long story short, that was our exposure, right? Mm -hmm. 
to to like sex sex to like actual sex aside from the stories of people telling ah da whatever whatever this is sex this is like full on sex this is our only exposure right because my grandparents was all gaudy churchy man 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 and they thought I lost my virginity way before I lost my virginity so they were they actually shamed me without knowing they were shaming me because he was like I know what you're doing you just don't do it in this house I was like I wish I was doing what you think you know what I'm doing I'm like, I <laughs> I ain't been doing nothing, man. You just you making me feel bad for not having been doing it. I know what you're doing. You think you know what I'm doing. And I wish I was doing what you thought I was doing, but I'm not. And if I was, I would do it in this house just to spite you. Ah. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> so that's our exposure to sex, right? So, you know, fast forward years later, I'm in college or whatever, and there's moments when I want to draw something super, super raunchy, super sexy, but I'm seeing the responses of society to anything sexed out. I'm seeing every time people are drawing characters, whether they're naked or not, they never have genitalia, specifically if they do, but women or men, you just, all of a sudden, they just have a lump. You know what that is, like, you draw mm -hmm. the legs, you know, and then it's just a whoop, like a blank space, or maybe a lump or whatever, where yeah. their genitalia is supposed to be. Nobody draws nipples. I'm like, why, what is this? This is stupid. But, mm -hmm. but I was, you know, I was like, but I'm not gonna draw them. I mean, I'm not gonna be, you know. And so every now and then I do a drawing that was like sexed out, and then I'd scare myself. And I didn't realize that I was afraid of people's judgment. So it's interesting because you think of me as free, right? And and I'm I'm grateful for that. And it it was a struggle to 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 become this, to constantly be this, right? Because the pressure of society, the, the pressure cooker, the weight of not doing stuff that you don't want, mm, that I don't want, because we, we do it all the time. You, 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 you scroll at me, that I didn't want people to think of me, uh, how they were gonna look at me, I'm already mm, whatever. So but there came a point when I was like, I have run away from this part of myself over and over again. And I don't remember running away. I didn't realize I was running because I would just be like, oh, I'm not interested in that. I talked myself out of it. And this finally came a day when I was like, nah, B, let's go. Okay, let's go all the way in. So I wrote a story, a short story that was erotic as all hell. And um, I was like, I'm going to do a bunch of short stories and I'm gonna introduce people to my worlds through the short stories. I'm still gonna do that. Um, and and I'm gonna build a, 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 a following or whatever, because I asked my agent, an agent dropped into my lap doing some crazy, that's a long other story, just boop, 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 you want me to be your agent? I was like, yes, okay, whatever. And so I finally went to her after not having given her any work for like, I don't know, two, five years, something like that. I was like, what does it take to get a manuscript? Like, what does it take to get a book deal? What do you need to do? She was like, first you need to do a finished manuscript. And I was like, dang, that's going to take forever. Okay, whatever. So that's where I came up with the, I'm going to do a bunch of short stories. I'm going to submit them to people who take them um, to publications who take short stories. And I'm going to get good. Da -da -da. One of my short stories was erotic. Another one was something else. And I submitted both of them to her just to be like, yo, can you just give me, you know, anything that jumps out, any glaring, whatever is, is my writing where I think it is, whatever. And then I'm going to pass it on. She was shopping me. Her name was Regina. Um, shout out to Regina. Serendipity lit. Um, she was shopping me and I didn't realize she was shopping me and she ended up getting a bite from a, a small company that has since gone out of business called Elora's Cave. They were really, really big for a lot of people in the romance and erotica industry for a long time on the online space. They've been doing it for a really long time and then they screwed up and they went out of business, but they went out of business, right? I was like with them when they were going out of business. Point is, I got a little book deal and I wrote a full book. I wrote a novel. It's called Cult of the Serpentari, right? Um, I ended up splitting that novel. I've since split that novel into, hey, um, I've since split that novel up into three books because I didn't realize you ain't need to go that hard for your first novel. Like I just went all the way in over a hundred thousand words. Like it was insane. Um, but it's an illustrated fantasy, erotic, adult adventure novel. Um, and so now, um, whatever, longer story shortened, that did something for me because, you know, they went out of business by the time by the time I was ready to release my joint, they had very few resources to give me. But one of the things they did give me was access to buying it at wholesale. So mm -hmm. I bought a bunch of copies. I, I set up two book signings for myself, one in Ashland, Oregon, one in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And they were some of the best days of my professional life, like ever, by far, you know what I mean? Um, but it was, a, it was almost like a coming out, you know what I mean? Because I was afraid, you know, of what folk was going to think of just me doing erotica. Like, I had all these preconceptions about their pre preconceptions. And every time I told people I was going to write an erotic story, they'd be like, well, hell yeah, let me know when it's done. And I was like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. It made me so happy, you know what I mean? So happy. So that was, that's where 
a lot of that has come from because the sexuality always runs through my stuff. I feel like there's um, a huge, a huge, how can I put it? There's a rift, right? I think that what people don't understand is a whole bunch of the ills that face our societies today stem directly and or indirectly from our suppression, the repression, and the twisted, convoluted relationships we have with our sexual bodies and sex, period. Because we, we got religion in there, we got the social norms in there, we're given a whole bunch of these mixed messages, like, on the one hand, it's like, you know, don't do that, it's bad, it's wrong to be, you know, sexual or promiscuous or whatever, but then on the other hand, you got billboards where you're, you're selling perfume and you have no idea it's just sex all over the place with music videos sex everywhere just sex sex but you're not supposed to want it but you're supposed to want it you're not supposed to but you but you, uh. and then simultaneously you have folk who will take down they will straight up and down protest and take down billboards with moms breastfeeding as obscene right, right. what really so what do you you know and then we have the 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 toxic culture of you know our males relationship to females um urban environments, non-urban environments, you know, and, and we, we have the toxic relationship of females to themselves and relating to their bodies and relating to their sexuality. You can't, you can't be super sexual because you a hoe or a slut. You can't be not that because then you stuck up and you're aloof. There's no middle ground. There's no, you know what I mean? With mad dudes, you just, there's thoughts, there's this, there's that. But anybody who won't is a, just like, you know, is, is messed up, is, you know, all oh, they ain't trying to give you the time of day because they think they better than you. But then the minute they do, it's like, ah, she gave it up so quick. Look at her. She's, you know what I mean? Like, so there's so much toxicity. And then you stick in also the fact that, like, historically speaking, in so many people's lore, in, sto in so many, um, so many stories, so many whatevers, if the woman, the minute the woman has lost her virginity, she's tainted. She's 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 uh she's she's damaged goods. Yeah, I mean, especially if she's lost it via rape, then then she's she's damaged. She's damaged. She's damaged goods. So number one, it's like, what is that telling women about what they're supposed to do with their own sexuality? And number two, what is that telling dudes about our sexuality? If the minute a woman is touched by us in that way sexually when it specifically when it comes to penetration they're unclean now they're damaged what is that telling us about ourselves feel me so like there's just all this triflingness that's just built in and i'm addressing it by instead of jumping up on the soapbox and being like you know this is bad i'm just creating stuff where it doesn't feel that way i'm creating you know uh, storylines and stuff where you can see black people and large people and small people and skinny people and, and fat people and all the people in between or a bunch of people in between um, all interacting in ways that are delightful. You know what I mean? That, that are just like, yo, this is nice. Like, I like this story and it makes me want to call someone as opposed to, I think I kind of like parts of that, but I want to wash my essence off afterwards because there was a whole bunch of that that was disgusting, but it's the only thing I got because there's no more, nothing but porno and the porno's horrible and most of it. And then there's people coming in their faces, and, ah, you know, like that. So there we go. <laughs> well, and I, and we're going to transition a bit, but I do want to come back to um, your empowerment coaching. But before that, um, you are multi-talented. You have done, of course, we know about your visual artists. Now we've spoken about your writing as an author, um, but you also are a dancer. Um, you've also done fashion design. Um, a couple of years back, your partner, Opie, and yourself um, did an exhibit called Black Snow. Mm -hmm. about your, talk to us about that, a little bit about that, and also talk to us about um, your fashion and your designs that you've created. I'm gonna make this one quicker because obviously I'm not quick. So um, <laughs> my, <laughs> me, and my, me and my lady, uh, shout out to Obi Snow. Um, she's my one, we've been together for third, going on 14 years ago. Um, we did a show called Black Snow and Basically, Black Snow came from, um, my name is Micah Blacklight, obviously, and I consider myself a black angel. And she, her name is, her le legit name is Opie Snow. Um, so we combined it and it's Black Snow. Uh, we named our relationship. I don't know if I told y'all that. We named our rela our relationship. I think people should name their relationships. Um, I got that from um, this dude named Philippe, because he's with a woman named Paget. Shout out to both of y'all. Okay. Um, we named our relationship the House of Black Feathers and Snow. And I wanted that to be the name of our company, whatever it was. And she was like, nah, you got to shorten it. It's Black Snow. I was like, no, no, no. But we finally I, I, I acquiesced Black Snow. We wanted it to be an Enigma company where you might get fashion some days. You might get art some days. You might get a combination some days. So we did this show. And, and y'all know who we know, right? So we have a bunch of our friends. We made them the models. 
and mm-hmm. a bunch of our friends are showmen. That they, they're, they're vocalists. They, you know, Shelly Nicole, Monster Black. Like there were a whole bunch of people. Alejuan King, uh, aka Mark Darkfeather. There were a whole bunch of folk in our first show, and we um, we had them showcase our fashion, which is uh, uh, post-apocalyptic tribal vagabond chic. <laughs> That's what we do, <laughs> right? heavily influenced by the Burning Man, and that's a whole nother conversation, but that that definitely transformed my world. Stan got a real big, both of y'all actually got a super big dose of that at your wedding when I showed yes. up. Like, what yes. was happening Just there? Um, that, you know, that was a direct result of the, the burn, and that's another story for another time. But the point is, um, th- we did a show where, yes, we did a show <laughs> where, um, we made all the fashion. We had like 16 something models. Pl- like I don't even, it was crazy. Me and, and Snow like got together. We made all the joint ourselves. We are both self-taught. There's, I'm sure there's a ton of places we're making mistakes where I don't know, we just patch it together and keep it moving. Like my, my goal is, does it work? Meaning does it do what, does the garment do what we want it to do? Mm-hmm. Does it look good? And does it feel good? Those are the three. You know what I mean? And if it, if it equals them things, let's go. Let's just go, you know? So we we haven't we never made a pattern in our lives like we don't you know we're not skilled in that way. Um, we had a woman straight up and down teach us, uh, but we lost all of it. It's kind of crazy. The point is, we to this day I still create custom couture. You know I pull way back from it because the time it takes me to do it versus the money I make is like you know what I mean I'm not fast enough, right? Um, so I pull back some, but I've done. I've done quite a few things. She only does it for show. She's not really into doing the commissions. I'll do the commissions like, you know, if the money is right, we do that. So I can make just lunatic things. So there's that. Yeah. I was going to say, as, as as a creative couple, you know, there's definitely some benefits and challenges with that. What have been, what would you say is the biggest challenge in being with a creative partner, as well as what have been some of the benefits? I already know some of the benefits, but I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I'd say honestly, one of the biggest challenges has not—it's not been about being um, uh, the shout out to Scotty. It's not been about the relationship so much so as me getting my finances together. Right, mm-hmm. that's been one of the biggest challenges. Um, shout out to my girl Ghana Imani. Um, she's she was like before she married her fabulous husband Will Hilton. She said her father gave her some advice. And he was like, you know, listen to me. I mean, I'm going to give you some advice. Like, these are the key things that you're going to have to get ready if you want your relationship to work. And so she thought he was about to drop some, like, deep sign. And he was just like, sex and money. And she's like, what? It's <laughs> like, sex and money. If you have both of those things locked in, your relationship is going to work. It's going to last. Either one of those things doesn't work, it's going to be stress. And he wasn't there lying. You know what I'm saying? Like when my finances ain't right, you know, cause I quit my job in 2010. I had a job. I had a good job. I was working at Polo. Shout out to Tim Holmes and that whole family. Um, I was in the women's graphics department and it was amazing. I was getting good money. I love the people I was working with, but I quit because I was like, I got to do this. I got to do me. You know what I mean? Like I got, you know, but in doing that, I'm freelance. So there's ups and downs. And, and when I'm not seriously on my game, the downs can be kind of rough. Right? So my lady, the weight has fallen on her sometimes in ways that are not cool. So that's been the biggest challenge is me getting my weight up. Is get, you know, because when, when it's good, it's good. It's real good. I'm just like, yo, I'm flying, I'm floating, you know what I'm saying? Bills is paid, we're doing the thing. But when it's not, it's like, whoo, you know. And now we have a little girl, she's seven years old. So like the biggest challenge, you know, the biggest challenge is again, it's not even creative couple, it's just, you know, trying to create time for intimacy when you got a little seven-year-old talking about, you know, ma, 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 you know. And and that's not how she is. She's amazing. And it's a little being who wants somebody's attention pretty much all the time. You know what I mean, so uh, those are the big, the biggest challenges is like creating time for intimacy and me making sure my finances is locked in or anything else we got, you know, because our foundation is solid. Our communication is solid. We're on the same page with our parenting. We're together. Um, we love each other and we like each other, which is huge. We laugh a lot. You know what I mean, so those are those are the things. And then the pros, a bunch of the pros are quite simply, she and I both get getting lost in a concept, getting swept up in a project, needing to just dive, need to just submerge in this thing, like like what witnessing the ideas just percolate and being able to bounce off each other. That's huge. It's so huge because she's my first line of defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot, like you said, a lot. 
and she's one of the first people to see like everything I do and vice versa. And that, that just means everything. I mean, cause like, it's like legit support and that feels really, really good. I want to go right into um, your empowerment coaching. Cause I know we're about to wrap up soon, but listen to your story, listening to your journey and, and things that you've learned throughout your process. Mm. You have been, um, you provide a safe space for others, particularly for women, but for, for people in general, where you provide a safe space where people feel comfortable around you to talk to you, um, even before you just started your empowerment coaching. Talk to us about how that came to be. I am highly, highly, highly intuitive. That's that's my, my, my coaching is entirely intuition-based coaching. I ain't got no certification or nothing. I ain't got no degrees or none of that. Not in that anyway. Um, it's entirely intuitive. And I've been intuitive since I was a little kid. Um, and what one of the things that I've realized is that everything comes down to everything about this work, anything that involves self-help, self-love, um, progression, evolution for, of the human species, it comes down to the facilitation of safe spaces, all of it. Like if we don't feel safe, we're not going to show up. If, if our guards are always up, and most people's are, um, then they're not going to be able to bring their full selves because they'll always feel like in danger they're always you know and we've seen like we have shields for a reason right like um it, it, we've seen people get burnt we've seen people be assaulted we've seen people be assaulted and then the people that are supposed to believe them don't we've seen we've seen full it's just rough right so for me as a human who has a experienced all kinds of like unsafe and real hostile situations and b recognizes that a lot of the time there's there's different variations of the unsafe situation but females catch it a whole lot because there's an extra layer of aggravation like when it comes to dudes um with each other dudes recognize a lot of dudes recognize that there's a potential for altercation like very real altercation so we behave in certain ways you know what i mean like that that's our energy but with women it's like when you dealing with a dude there's this added layer of the altercation would just not go well. You know what I mean? Like there's a big chance. It's just not, it's not going to be in your, so there's this extra thing that a lot of people don't think about when it comes to the ways in which dudes are interacting with women. So for me, when it comes to dudes and, and women, um, it's, I strive to, and thank you for acknowledging that I do do, um, just to create and embody the safe space. So I feel like all of us have experienced, and I know we got to wrap up. I feel like all of us have experienced moments where we have felt we've been in, in the presence of someone where our guards can drop. And then after that experience, we like lock back up, but we remember that as like, that was beautiful. And for me, I'm just like, why would you lock that up? What happens to the rest of you while you're locked up? What happens to the parts of you that you're locked up? What happens to the parts of you that you're only showing in little itsy bitsy bits of time? They're withering you. Yeah, I mean, so my thing is about trying to be as authentic as possible all the time and creating, embodying the safe space that you felt around other people. So I am embodying that space as much as possible and making it so folk can be that in front of me whenever I get with them. And then there's just a, a stream of, of empowered individuals and at the very least inspired individuals in my wake. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. I wish we had more time. Oh my goodness. This is one. I do want to close out with um, one question though, because because we talked about all the things that you've done, you know, as being an author, a designer, a life coach, um, dancer, everything, right? Fathered. If you had to choose one artistic medium, ah, why would you do that? One, get one. What would it be and why? Ah. Um, pressure. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, mm, mm, yeah, it's, it's hard. I know it's painful. Yeah, I mean, it's I say writing. Writing. And mm. the reason is because with writing, I can bring in all of it: visuals, fashion, design, art, and and feel. Like with writing, you get to be. A, I get to be a director. I can do the lighting. I can introduce the scene. I can, you know, I can just bring all of it. And it, it would it would be like chopping off a hand to not draw. Like that would just be retarded and I probably wouldn't make it. And so it would actually probably be drawing. But the point is writing is what I would choose as an answer because I can give everything in my writing, like everything. That's awesome. That's dope. That's dope. Nah, man. Oh, I did want to, uh, cause I know we didn't talk about it before. That's why I brought it up on the screen, but I did want to uh, share this image. And, uh, 
that you you know because i remember when you first told us that you were working on um the mermaid series that you were you were so excited man um and you know and then when i finally saw it come to be it was awesome and uh yeah so please uh tell the folks about this series and all that good stuff on the real quick it's called court of the diverse mermaids and basically it's coming from it's stemming from a couple things one is my daughter she loves mermaids like absolutely in love does you know whatever um uh, and then one day she wanted me to draw one because she likes us to do that. And I drew her one with a big butt just because. Ha, here, take it. And she was just <laughs> like, but Papa, <laughs> mermaids don't have butts that big. Ooh. And so inside, I almost lost my mind. Outwardly, I was like, nah, honey. Da, 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 da. But inside, I was like, ooh, I have been like, for yes, Stephanie. Um, inside, I was like, um, I have failed in my, in my parenting in this realm. Because the fact that that could come out of my little girl's lips is just blasphemy. So... I started using mermaids as a way to sort of surreptitiously uh, teach her about acceptance of a wide array of bodies, a wide array of body types, a wide array of sizes and shapes, and then also colors, because the, the, the majority, the truth is when you hear words like mermaid, fairy, a lot of us, the first thing we think of is a little white woman or a little white girl, yeah. you know, and there's nothing wrong with white mermaids and white fairies, nothing wrong at all, I'm not that dude. What I am about is, Give me something that look like me. Give me something that look like you. Give me something that look like you and you and you. And so I created the, the mermaids as a way to sort of instruct my daughter without beating her over the head with some old, you know, they can be any size, you know, whatever. Man. And while I did that, I posted it online and then people's responses was like, oh my God, a please do. Oh, oh, if you make a coloring book, I'm buying two. You know, and I was just like, oh, okay, okay. The crowd has spoken. Let's go. So I created a court of diverse mermaids as a way to educate and sort of in innocently um innocently imbue and inculcate women uh and and boys and men whoever bought them but women in particular uh the, with the notion of loving themselves throughout the phases that their bodies go through women's bodies go through way more than dudes go through generally speaking that's just how it works you know i mean without any kind of extra anything um pregnancy just over your lives some women's bodies will shift during a week like it's just whoop whoop you know i mean the weight goes crazy the, you know everything it's just that's just mm -hmm. how it works and so the society we got this whole thing where your body is only perfect in this little tiny fraction of your life like from 18 right. to 20 something maybe right if you happen to have the body that they're saying was perfect in the first place some teens don't even have that body so they like hating themselves early on and then they just keep on moving so this coloring right. book was designed to make it so that a whole bunch of women while they're coloring would notice the beauty of these forms and see themselves in these forms and be like oh I, i'm beautiful yes you are yes you are like that's the point and that's why i did it so there we go. And it was dope too because you did the you had the grown yeah, folk uh version, you know yep. what I'm saying? You yep. know, nipples and all we you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and then you had the the PG joint, you know what right. I mean? The family friendly joint. So right, it's, right. I love the fact that you were able to do it in classic Micah fashion where you were true to yourself, you know what I mean, and still kind of um, you know, had the sexiness in there, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's very much a part of our bodies as well, and there's different types of sexy. Mm -hmm. and, but then at the same time, like creating a version that like your daughter and other people uh, could just have and be able to not just color, but potentially have these conversations that you're talking about. You mm -hmm. know? Uh, that, that came as a direct result of me. You know, I didn't realize it was a thing. I just did mermaids with no, no, no tops on because it's mermaids and why would they be wearing tops? And then right. people were like, yo, but do you have, you know, it's nipples and it's kids. And I was like, nipples and kids. We've been breastfeeding. What are you talking about? Are you <laughs> So yeah, I mean, but, but I didn't want anyway for the people. So he's got to eat. <laughs> yeah, <I mean. laughs> so there we go. Oh so, wow! We well, this was you, this brother. was so good. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your journey with us and with our audience. Mm. For those of you, if you like what you heard, please make sure that you like and subscribe. We have so much more in store for you and Absolutely. also come back and visit and because i know it was a lot so you want to come back <laughs> and save, mm. save to you know and to your queue and then come back and, and watch it again and again and again so micah thank you thank brother you, bro. we, we appreciate you, you. y'all are dope you know i've been knowing y'all are dope since day one since day zero you know what i'm saying yeah. <laughs> that's, real. that's real man so like, <laughs> former roommates you know what i'm saying <laughs> like for real yeah, for real on some other yeah. shout out to st james place <laughs> you need to you need to peep that one right there she's asleep right. anyway yeah uh, <laughs> have a beautiful rest of your everything thank you, you so too. much for having me folk in the, in the fam and the, everything just come through um and and live your lives y'all 
live your lives. Um, I'm gonna end on a note because I know we gotta go. I'm gonna end on a note. It's called Shine. Okay, that's what I'm about. Oh, I ain't stealing my shirt. Look at this. Hold up. Hold up. Dun, 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 dun. I like. See, I got swag. What's popping? Okay. <laughs> anyway. Where can they get that? Where can we order that? That's a that's a special joint. You can't even order it yet. <laughs> Um, but you, you gotta go to iamcatalyst.com with the i dash am dash catalyst.com. Um, so it's it's the, that comes from my that's my that's my messaging, right? It's the I am here to enable and activate your shine. Shine stands for when we are seen and heard, we are inspired and our natures are enlivened. Yes, that's wow. where I'm coming from. That's where y'all can come from. Shine, freaking do the best you can. To, to see yourself and hear yourself and then be that space for other people. Blow it open. Have a beautiful day. Have a beautiful existence. Rock on. Peace. We appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Take care. Yes, sir. Peace. Thanks for listening to Artistry art meets industry this podcast has been brought to you by substantial art music for more information please visit www.subartmusic.com you can also follow us on social media at subart music we'll see you soon we'll talk to you soon peace